This series is a short Advent series which is focused on encountering the Holy Spirit. So the last series we went through is on encountering Jesus. Well, here's the deal. You can't encounter Jesus now in our day and age unless you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I mean, obviously, you can't physically walk with Jesus like the first disciples. He's ascended. So if you and I are going to experience Christ, we have to experience and encounter the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at the, the scripture, the scripture that, that Zach read, the promise of the coming Messiah. So this is, uh, this is Matthew quoting Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The prophet speaks and he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the idea is that this Messiah, this, this Jesus that's going to come into the world that hadn't yet come, when he comes, it's going to usher in the presence of God into the world and the kingdom of God. So the average Joe, you, me, your, your family members, people of all nations will be able to experience the presence and the power and the kingdom reign of God. So that's the promise. Now, here's the verse we looked at last week. So we're looking at the bookends of the Gospel of Matthew. The beginning, chapter 1, the coming of the promise, and then the commissioning of, of the disciples, which we covered last week, where Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... What's it say? I am with you always to the end of the age. So what, what we see here in the Gospel of Matthew is that it's bookended with a promise of the presence of God. The presence of God. I want to read for you a, a, another translation of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is... Dallas Willard, uh, former uh, pastor and also professor of philosophy at USC. It's an alternate translation. It's not a paraphrase. It's an alternate translation. Now listen to how he translates this. All say has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all people. Catch this. This is, this is profound. Immersing them in the presence of the Trinity. Dallas Willard goes on to say, we're, of course, we're used to hearing baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then he says this, friends, that doesn't mean get them wet while you say the name. And here's the reality. I believe as Christians, modern Christians, that we view baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We saw baptisms last week. We view that as just that. Get them wet and say the name. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here's what it means. No, 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 no. What you witnessed last week with baptism, where individuals were baptized in the name of the Father, Holy Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it represents, it's a symbol that represents a spiritual reality. That as Christians, we are immersed, immersed, that's what the word baptized means, immersed into the presence of the Trinity. That is all together different than what most Christians think they should experience. The, 
problem, the problem, is really understanding the difference between what is normal and what is average. So what's normal, a normal, healthy person has a normal back. And for a number of weeks, my back was not normal. So consequently, for five weeks, I literally did everything from my back. I couldn't walk. I could walk for about 30 seconds before I dropped. I couldn't sit at all, and I couldn't stand. That's not normal. Why isn't it normal? Because a back is designed to bend. I'm being careful. I can't go too far down. It's, it's designed to bend, and it's designed to move. That, that's, that's how we're designed. So normal, when you're lying flat on your back and you can't walk, that's not normal, right? So what's normal for the Christian? What's normal, exhibit A, the normal Christian life for the church, here's what Jesus promised for us, the collective body of Christ worldwide. He says, I'm going to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here's what Jesus is saying. My people, I'm going to bring my kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of my father, and my people will be an unstoppable force in a world which is against them. Unstoppable. Yes, they will go to their deaths, but the kingdom will spread. And as as the vision of of Daniel, it will be like a rock which strikes the feet of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. And that rock will grow to a mountain and it will fill the entire earth. It will be unstoppable. Nothing can stop it. And what about the life of the individual Christian that, that makes up a part of that body? The individual Christian, the normal Christian, is, is, to, is to be filled and led by the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That is the characteristic of the normal Christian. The normal Christian. A life of victory. A life of joy. A life of, characterized by love and self-control. And then you have the average experience. Would you say that the body of Christ in America, the church as as we know it, is an unstoppable force? Would anybody honestly say that? The church, the body of Christ in the continent of North America is shrinking in size and influence and has been for over 50 years or longer. Nobody disputes this. The church as we know it is anemic, it's weak, it's worldly. It doesn't look like the first century church, which, which turned the Roman Empire upside down without any political influence, mind you, without any money, without an army. church doesn't look anything like that. And then there's the individual Christian, the average individual Christian, anything but victorious. Ticket to heaven, sins pardoned, but empowered by the Spirit, filled with love and joy. What's missing? Listen to what Jesus said the night before, the night he was arrested. In his, his, his upper room discourse as he's having the Last Supper and he, he's preparing them for his, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. 
He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If you, if you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. He says, as the branch cannot bear by fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide, or the word abide means remain, unless you can remain in me. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now catch this. For apart from ye, me, you can do nothing. Why is the church anemic? Why are individual Christians not victorious? Here's the irony. Many Christians are trying to do Christianity without Christ. Here, here's what I mean by that. When you became a Christian, when you became a Christian, you assented intellectually to some doctrines, some historical truths about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ, and your need for forgiveness of sin. And that's, that's not a bad thing. And so you cried out to, as, as, uh, as, our, as our worship leader Steve was talking about grace, you cried out for grace, you needed it, and you received it, and you received a pardon from sin. And then it stopped. As if Christianity, the definition of Christianity is, what it means to be Christian is to, is to be forgiven of sin. And it's not that we're not forgiven. Please don't, don't hear that I'm, that's an important piece, but it's a piece. But what about the rest of our lives? What about the rest of our lives? What's missing? Jesus said in, in John chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the father and he will give you another helper, another helper. Another means one like me, another helper, another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. So he identifies that helper, the spirit, the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you He's in your presence now, and he's going to be in you. He's going to be in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. So many Christians, and probably many of you, not all, but some, you understand Christianity to be the forgiveness of sins because of the atonement. What Jesus has done is death, burial, and resurrection. It's a peace. Yes. It's not the definition of Christianity. That's not the definition. It's not going on your PowerPoint, but I want you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Let's look together here. This is so important. When Jesus had spoken these words, this is verse 1, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh and given eternal life to all whom you have given him. Okay, stop. There it is, eternal life. Again, what do we typically think of when we think of eternal life? I'm going to heaven because my sins are forgiven. That's not untrue, but that's not what it is. Look at the essence of what eternal life is. Look at verse three. You ready? And this is eternal life. Let me explain it to you. Well, he's talking to his father. He doesn't need to explain it to his dad. But we're listening to his prayer. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know. To know the Father. That to, this is what Dallas Willard said. To be immersed into the presence of the Trinity. To know the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit the way you know your spouse. Better than you know your spouse. 
to know the person of Christ the way you know your kids, the way you know your siblings, the way you know your best friend, the way you know a lover, only more so. That's a definition of eternal life. To experience the presence and the power and the personality of the Godhead. That is so much more than a pardon from sin. And that's what Christ desires for you. That's what he purchased for you. Do you want that? Because that's what he died for. That you would know him. Transition. The Hawks are going to the Big Ten Championship. Woohoo! Right? How many of you know Kirk Ferentz? That's a trick question. And most of you didn't fall for it because only one guy raised his hand in the back. Everybody knows about Kirk Ferentz. He chews gum all the time. We know that about him. We know that his hair's graying. We know that he used to be an assistant coach under Hayden Fry. We know that he's been around a long time. We know that he's the dean of the Big Ten. We know all these things about him, but do you know him? Some of you might, but most of you don't. Knowing about Jesus, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is not the same thing as knowing. And that's what Jesus is offering us. He's offering each and every individual here an opportunity to know him, not know about him. To have more than a pardon of, 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 and a forgiveness of sin. To, to experience the presence and the power of Christ in your daily life. Which means a church which is an unstoppable force. Which means you as an individual are victorious in your following Christ. That doesn't mean sinless, but it does mean victorious. That's what he's offering. And so we're doing a new series. It's a four-part message as we lead up to Advent called Encountering the Holy Spirit, God within us. God within us. And and today is the, the introduction to the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? I've been preaching for 25 years. I've never devoted an entire sermon to the Holy Spirit, let alone a series. Most of you have never heard a sermon devoted to the Holy Spirit. Some of you have. Some of you have. Why? It's, I think most, many people in the church are ignorant of Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean you're stupid. It means you're, we're uninformed. We just, we don't know what we don't know. That's not the same thing as being dumb. Being ignorant means we just have never heard it. And many of you haven't. Why? Well, one potential reason in my tradition and many of your tradition is that some of us Some of you are a little bit scared of what the Holy Spirit would do if we actually started teaching about what the Spirit says. You know, because there are people in the body of Christ who really focus on the Holy Spirit who do some really crazy and weird things. And we're like, I don't want to be associated with that that nonsense. And some of it, quite frankly, is nonsense. But to neglect the teaching of the Holy Spirit for the excess and the abuse in a small segment of the body of Christ is to deprive the whole body of Christ of the presence and the power of the Trinity. 
And no, I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And I can't control him. He will not be controlled by any man or preacher. But the preacher who refuses to preach on the Holy Spirit neglects the body of the life-giving sap which flows to the vine. So this morning is who is the Holy Spirit? Next week we're going to look at the promise. The promise given to all Christians that we would be baptized, immersed into the Spirit. Then we're going to look at the command, which is an ongoing imperative, which is today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter, to be filled with the Spirit. And then we're going to analyze the journey, which Paul calls being led by the Spirit. For what purpose? So that we might know Him. That we might experience Him. And in doing so, that the Father and the Son would be glorified. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit would empower us, enlighten us, fill us. You use the preaching of your word to bring glory to the Father and to the Son. Spirit, would you use the words that I speak? May they be your words and may they exalt Christ so that we might know him, know you and know the Father. Father, do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get to it here. First of all, when we're talking about who is the Spirit, the Spirit is a who, not a what. The Spirit is a who, not a what. How many of you have seen the Star Wars trilogy? It's a trilogy, that implies three. The saga. There's a million Star Wars movies, right? What's the spiritual essence of the Star Wars saga? What do they call it? The Force. Many people, the, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the... Uh, the third person, the Trinity, it's kind of like the embarrassing brother we don't really know much about, so we lock him in the closet, and we, we're not sure about what he is or what he does. Or, so we think of the Spirit as a force. Many people think of the Spirit as a force. Now, force, uh, a force can move something. You know, Yoda can lift things with his mind, right? The force can move things. So the Spirit moves in us. The Spirit draws us. The Spirit empowers us. And so we think of the Spirit oftentimes as a force. Now, it's not wrong to think that the Spirit can move, empower, draw, regenerate. The Spirit, it's forceful, if you will, but it's not a force. Because the force doesn't have a personality. The Holy Spirit is not an it. Everybody's about choosing their own pronouns these days, right? Okay. Well, the Holy Spirit chooses not to be referred to as it, but him it's got a personality. The force isn't it. The spirit is a him. He has a pronoun. He has personhood. It's, in, it's essential that we understand that. So here, here's some examples. John 14, verse 6. This will be quick, so you don't have to turn there. John 14, verse 26. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus said the spirit is going to teach. The force can't teach. A personality can teach. A personality can teach. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. This is, this is speaking about the Holy Spirit giving gifts to the body of Christ. Every single one of us is a member of the body of Christ. And each member has a different purpose and a different function and has been given a different gift and or gifts. And those gifts are not all the same and not all of us have the same gift. 
And here's what the Apostle Paul says about the giving of those gifts. He says, the Holy Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Do you know why I have a gift of teaching? Because the Holy Spirit willed it. Do you know why I don't have the gift of mercy? Because the Holy Spirit decided not to give me that. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm exempt from showing mercy. You have gifts that I don't have, and I have gifts that you don't have. Why? Because the Holy Spirit willed it. A force doesn't will anything. But only an individual with personality can make and will decisions. Yes, I give this. No, I do not give this. To this person, I give this. To this person, I give that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, the whole, Paul says, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The force doesn't care about you and can't be grieved, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit cares. And when we disobey, when we ignore, when we walk away, he's grieved. He's grieved. This is my favorite. Romans chapter 8. Please turn there. Romans chapter 8. I love what Paul says here about the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, He helps us in our weakness. For we don't know what to pray for. How many of you ever, you just like, I don't know what to pray for. Anybody? It's like, I don't know what I need. I don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart, hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. Here's what Paul just said. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, that indwells you is searching your very spirit and knows exactly what you need. And the Holy Spirit is interceding, literally praying for you right now at this moment. He is praying for you with words that you couldn't understand if you even heard them with groanings too deep to express. And he is interceding for you so that you might be conformed to the likeness and image of his son. The Holy Spirit prays. He knows you inside and out. And he knows the will of the Father. And he's praying that God would orchestrate all circumstances so that you and I would be conformed to the likeness and image of his son. And then in Acts chapter 5, The Holy Spirit can be lied to. You can't lie to a force. I can't lie to the pulpit. The pulpit can't hear me. The pulpit doesn't discern. But the Holy Spirit can be lied to. In this context, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property. And they want to be like all the other cool Christians who are being super generous and selling everything they have and giving it to the church and distributing to all those refugees who are now staying in Jerusalem because they came there for, uh, for Pentecost and then they received the Holy Spirit and nobody wanted to go home. So you have, all the, you have thousands of people that are there and they didn't go home. They don't have anywhere to stay. They don't have anything to eat. They don't have any property. And so all these Christians are meeting their needs. And so Ananias and Fire want to jump on the generosity train. Woo-hoo, sell a piece of property. And they come to Peter and say, hey, here's all the money that we got from the proceeds. We're so generous. Can you give this to those who need it? And Peter said, is that the full price? It's all of it. 
And then Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's a person. He's not an it. He's not an it. Also, the Holy Spirit is God. Now we're going to jump in the deep end. You say, Brooks, we were already in the deep end. We're swimming a little further out. We're swimming a little further out. The Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is omniscient. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What is Paul saying? God is too profound to be understood and no one can understand him fully except the spirit of God because the spirit of God is omniscient and knows everything just like God knows. So wait a minute, are you saying the spirit is God? No, but Paul is. This is exactly what he's saying. There's only one that knows everything and that is God and the spirit of God, which is the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of God, which is God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. Three distinct personalities. How many of you are confused at this moment? You sh- if you're not, you're not paying attention. And, and at this point, it's tempting to say, it's kind of like ice has three phases. You have water, you have liquid, you have gas, and you have solid. Anytime you try to give an illustration that helps people understand the Trinity, you cloud the Trinity. So I'm not going to give you an illustration. I'm just going to tell you this is what the Bible says. He said, I want an illustration. That's how heresy starts. Over the centuries, people have tried to tag on a description of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three. And every time they diminish some aspect of God. So I'm just going to leave it up to the mystery of Scripture. This is what the revelation of God says. He's omniscient. He's eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our consciousness from dead works to serve the living God? So we learn that the spirit is eternal. Now, what is eternal? Eternal means something that does not have a beginning, nor does it have an end. Now, we are created for eternity, but I have a beginning. I was conceived in 1967, and I came into, into this world on June 22nd, 1967. I have a definitive beginning, but I don't have an end. Every single one of you is created from eternity for eternity, but you all have a beginning. You're not eternal. You will go on into eternity forever in heaven or hell, in God's presence or apart from him. Every single one of you will live in eternity, but you're not eternal. Make sense? The Holy Spirit is eternal. He does not have beginning. He does not have an end. He just is. What did, what did, what did God say at the burning bush when Moses said, Who are you? What should I tell them? What did he say his name was? I am. And what did Jesus say to the Pharisees? I am. And who is the Holy Spirit? I am. 
He's eternal. He always has been and he always will be. You know, the collective wisdom of science about a hundred years ago, no, 120, used to believe that the universe was eternal and that matter was eternal. That was just a common understanding of science. You know, I believe in science. Well, if you believed in science in 1905, you would say that matter is eternal. It's always been here. Until science says it's not. And then they figured out that because of the red shifts and blue shifts, that you know, the universe is expanding. If it's expanding, that means it had to come from a singular point. And then with Einstein and, 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 and the, the fathers of, uh, of, of science back in those days, they determined that the universe had a definitive beginning. Turns out it's not eternal. It started. It has a birthday. The universe is not eternal, but the God who spoke it into existence is. And then the Holy Spirit does what only God can do. Titus chapter 3 refers to the regeneration, that is, taking that which is dead in sin and making it alive in Christ, breathing life into that which is not spiritually alive. Only, only God can give life. And the Holy Spirit is said to regenerate us. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, the Holy Spirit is said to sanctify us. That's the process by which we are being shaped, molded. You remember the potter and the, and the wheel and the clay? The Holy Spirit is shaping us. He's sanctifying us. That's God's work. Well, that's because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do? We know who the Holy Spirit is. It's personality. Personality that happens to be God. Well, what's the Holy Spirit do? This is from Wayne Gruden's Systematic Theology and Introduction to Biblical Doctrine. He says, the work of the Spirit, that is, that which the Spirit does, the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, especially in the church. In other words, to quote Dallas Willard, the Holy Spirit is to immerse us into the presence of the Trinity. That's what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. To, to cause you as an individual who used to be dead in sin, to be born again, to made alive in Christ, and then experience the power and the presence of the Godhead daily, moment by moment in your life. Now, is that what the average Christian experiences? No. Is that what the normal Christian should experience? If that's what my Bible says, then yes. John chapter 14. I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he's going to be in you. John 14, verse 25 and 26. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all these things and bring to your remembrance everything that I've said to you. Leapfrog to John chapter 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. 
for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you and the Son whom you have sent. Do you want to be normal or average? Do you want your Christianity to subsist in a pardon for sin and a hope that someday when you die, you won't go to hell? Or do you want your Christianity to consist of being bathed, immersed in the presence, the power, the love, and the joy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in your every waking moment. That is what was purchased for you. That is what Christ purchased for me. And all we have to do is receive the gift that he wants to give. But you have to want it. And you can't resist it. The Holy Spirit will not give you that which you do not desire. And I will guarantee you that some of you are scared spitless right now. I'm jumping ahead into the third message. Some of you are terrified that if you ask the Holy Spirit to take control of your life, you might not to get to control it. Revelation, you're exactly right. And maybe that's why the church is average and not normal. It's because we are on our own pursuit. And yeah, the kingdom of God, it sounds awesome, but I still want to be king. Then we will grieve the Holy Spirit and we will lock him in the closet and we will define our Christianity by a pardon for sin. And in doing so, here's the terrifying reality. Some of you will find out on that day you never were Christian to begin with. Some of you will find out on that day you will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Because you mistook a Christianity for a ticket to heaven and not a relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not what the Father wants. That's not what Jesus died for. We will have all of him or none of him. And he wants us to have all. And he wants all. Because he deserves all. So that you might experience this on a deeper level, and it's not just a Sunday thing, we will have a weekly devotional. It's not a Monday through Friday thing. It's a, every Wednesday, a devotional which will correspond to some aspect of what you're hearing each week to help you step forward and receive all that God has to offer you through the work of the Holy Spirit. So to do that, text ADVENT21 to the number 942 Five, three. And then on Wednesday, you, all of you, all of us will receive the same devotional, which will guide us in this process of seeking all that God has to offer. 
Again, it's Advent 21 to the number 94253. We're going to close in prayer this morning. I'm going to read to you a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. And then I'm going to pray that prayer in my own words. And we're going to see that this is what's supposed to be normal. And we're going to pray that God would do in us all that he wants to through the working of the Spirit. So here's what Paul said, or rather prayed for the church in Ephesus. It starts in verse 15 of chapter 1 of, of Ephesians. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayer that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things of the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we thank you that you have called us. Thank you that you have sent your son to take our sins and to fulfill all righteousness for us. And Father, I pray the words of the Apostle Paul that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give us a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Lord God, would you pour out your spirit on me? Would you pour out your spirit on every man, every woman, and every child that you would give us the Holy Spirit, the spirit that is wise, the spirit of knowledge that we might know him, Jesus. That we might know him as a brother, as a father, as a sibling, as a groom. Lord, would you help us to know you and to know all that you have for us, that our Christianity would be more than a pardon for sin, but it would be the experience of your presence and your power, your person, that we might love you more, that we might experience you, that we might suffer well when we suffer, that we might be drawn near to you. Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done that your church would be an unstoppable force and every single Christian here would bear the fruit of the Spirit daily in all things. Lord, that's what you died for and we want nothing less. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.